0: All right, Well, we're gonna do uh, Acts chapter 10, 11, and 12. We're gonna dip our toe into nine. So yes, that's a lot. Um, I'm gonna warn you if you're a type A personality, and if you are a type A personality, you you know you are. And uh, this this lesson this morning is gonna drive you absolutely out of your mind because we're not gonna go uh, sequentially. We're not gonna cover everything. We're gonna skip around. And so I've put everything you need in your notes, so just follow the notes, take a deep breath, and, and you'll survive. Um, what I wanna do this morning is um, help us look at these passages in, in a little bit different way. We know we're looking at history, right? We're, we, this is the history of how the church was formed, written by Luke, uh, written to a guy named Theophilus, and he's telling him all the things that happened since Jesus left, the Holy Spirit came, how the church was formed, uh, and he's going to take it all the way up until um, Paul ends up in Rome in prison. So it's history, but, but I'm trying not to approach it just as history because I'm trying to get us to look at it a little bit more closely in terms of what does that have, have to do with us? What does it have to say to us? And so this morning, we're kind of going kind to of look at it in a different way, and I want to preface it with this, and I'm going to read this, and then we're going to pray, and we'll, we'll jump into it. But this is from uh, Romans chapter 8. It's a verse you're very familiar with. It's the verse everyone quotes to you when you're going through difficulty, and it's the verse they quote to you that you can't stand that they quote to you because they have no idea why they're quoting it to you. It's just it sounds right. It sounds good. So this is it. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, if you're going through difficulty, trials, you know, financial difficulty, marital difficulty, uh, lost your job, kid in rebellion, cancer, whatever it is, somebody will come up to you, well-meaning, love you to death, quote you this, and then run. Um, Why am I bringing this up? Because this verse really is appropriate for looking at the book of Acts, because we've already seen in the book of Acts, not everything was great in the early days of the church. We've already seen Stephen get stoned to death. Not exactly a great way to end your day or your life. And and we're going to see Peter go into prison. We're going to see Paul end up in prison. We're going to see persecution. We're going to see dissension. We're going to see all kinds of stuff happen. And this verse really does fit that all things do work together. Um, but it's how we approach life. It's how we look at life, how we look at the affairs of life, the things that come at us in life. Either God's in control or he's not. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to kind of dive into these chapters and just see how we might be able to look at life, the circumstances of, of life in a different way than maybe we do right now. Father, thank you for these men. Thank you for getting us here safely. Thank you for keeping the ice storm uh, away. And I pray, Father, that uh, our time here this morning would, uh, we know it's not going to be wasted time because we're going to be looking at your word, and your word never uh, is wasted. And we know that your Holy Spirit is here, and we know that you're going to speak, and I just pray that you would help us to listen and help us to walk away different than how we came in the door. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, so. I want to open up with a poem because that's what preachers do. Uh, This is from a guy named William Cowper. I think think it was written in the 1700s, and you're probably familiar with it. And this is just one part of it. He says, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. Again, this fits this book because we've seen God working in kind of strange ways, mysterious ways, doing things that we wouldn't expect, um, all in order to accomplish his divine will. And and what's interesting is he gets this from Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, which we looked at last week. And here's God telling you and I something about himself. He says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. Now you get that. You understand that. You're not going to argue that. You just don't like that, that his thoughts are not your thoughts. Oh, God, you know, I've got some good thoughts. I I got an idea of how I think you might handle my life a little bit better than you currently are but his thoughts are not like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Sometimes when reading through the book of Acts, um, I can't help but go, why? Why did you do it that way? Why did you let that happen? Why did you cause that to happen? Why, Why would you, God, think that that could be beneficial? And again, the stoning of Stephen is a perfect example um, the dissension that takes place within the church. Why did that have to happen? Why does it still have to happen today? Why can't we all just get along? And it goes back to trust me. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. How marvelous are the ways of God. So I've titled this lesson. I never would have dreamed. Now the main reason I did it initially was because there's two dreams in the chapters we're looking at. One's by a guy named Cornelius, who's a Roman. He gets a vision from God. And the other one is by Peter, leader in the church. And he gets a vision from God. But more than anything, as I dug into this and began to prepare for it, is that what you really see in these chapters are God doing things in ways we never would have dreamed that he would have done them in that way. And and especially for the early disciples, the 120 who were in the upper room on that day and those who come to faith, and especially the Jewish disciples who were followers of Jesus, really struggled with how God was doing things. It it didn't fit how they thought. So we're going to see in chapter 9, Saul gets literally blinded by the truth, runs into the resurrected Christ, loses his sight, but he gains salvation. Now, we're not gonna look at that this morning because I'm, I'm kind of saving the uh, conversion story of Saul till later because uh, all throughout the book of Acts, he tells that story over and over again. And it's, it's repeated. He's always getting chances to share his testimony. So I'm gonna save his conversion till a little bit later. And we're gonna concentrate more on Peter this morning. Peter, as I said, is gonna have a vision a vision of the truth, whose truth? God's truth. And it's gonna contradict what he thinks is the truth. And it's gonna rub them the wrong way. You're gonna see Jewish believers who go out. Why did they go out? We saw this last week. They went out because they were scattered. They didn't do it willingly, they got scattered. They had to leave Jerusalem because of persecution. And they make a beeline to who? More Jews. Because they didn't wanna go to the Gentiles. They go to the Jews. And yet what does God do? God's bringing Gentiles to faith. And we're going to see in these chapters that you're going to see Gentile after Gentile come to faith. Here's the Jews going out, get scattered. Who do they concentrate on? More Jews. But what's God doing? Bringing Gentiles to faith. And there's this conversion that's going to take place where God's will and their will is going to have to align. And guess what? They don't want it to. You ever had that in your life? You know, some of us say, well, God, I wish I just knew God's will. I'm going to guess that most of the time, you know, God's will, it just doesn't match your will. All right. I don't want to do that. Well, he didn't ask you if you wanted to do it. He just said, do it. And that's what's going to happen in this story today is you we're going to see Jewish Christians who think they're doing the will of God and they are cause they're sharing the gospel. But God has said, go into all the world and share the gospel. Well, we're going to, we're going to stick with Jews. And God's going to save Gentiles. So there's this thing going on. God's will versus their will. You're going to see James get killed by Herod. Very short little verse, but it's going to say that James, the brother of John, one of the original disciples, gets beheaded. Again, you go, why? God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And then you're going to see Herod, the man who had him beheaded, die. That part I like. That part I get, way to go God. But see, God's doing things that we don't necessarily understand, don't comprehend. Some we like, some we don't, but we have to trust that God knows what he's doing. So what we're gonna do is, is look at some passages starting in verse uh, chapter nine all the way up to 12. And I wanna show you something that appears in the writings of Luke that's pretty significant for us to understand. And he uses this word, meanwhile. Now I'm using the New Living Translation. And so in your translation, whatever it may be, ESV or NASB, you may have a different word there. But every time we look at this, there's a transitional word, a conjunction. Luke loves conjunctions. And he starts out in verse one of chapter nine. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So we remember Saul was at the stoning of Stephen. He held the cloaks of the men who stoned Stephen. And we're told that he enjoyed watching what happened. Why? Because he was a persecutor of the church. He hated Jesus and everyone associated with Jesus. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was an up and comer in the Sanhedrin. He wanted to see the way, which is what they called the church at that time, Christianity. That he wanted to see it eliminated from the face of the earth. And so we see here, Luke is always telling us something is going on. He starts over here, he's talking about one thing, and he goes, Meanwhile, Saul. It's like they used to do the old uh, radio shows. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Well, meanwhile, Saul's uttering threats. He's eager to kill the Lord's followers. And so this this transition idea that Luke uses is is really important for us to understand what's going on in these chapters. So he loves conjunctions and he he uses and and but and therefore and meanwhile and all these different conjunctions over and over again. Why? Because he's trying to get us to understand that there's always something else going on. And behind that something else is a God. God. God's at work. God's doing things that we don't see all the time. And sometimes we get so myopic. And one of the reasons I don't want to do this story by story by story by story, that's not a wrong way to teach the book of Acts. But sometimes we get so focused on the story, we don't look back, step back and look at the big picture of all that God's doing. So Luke uses this little kind of technique of, meanwhile, hey, don't forget about Saul, While they're going out, don't forget about Saul. He's still busy. And so we see this over and over again. Nothing in the book of Acts happens in isolation. Stephen gets stoned. But meanwhile, God's at work. Church gets persecuted. Church gets scattered. People come to faith. God's doing his thing. And you're going to see over and over again in these chapters, people coming to faith in the midst of difficult times and seeming tragedies. So this idea of meanwhile is going to kind of be our theme this morning. Skip to verse 32 of chapter 9. Meanwhile, Peter. So meanwhile, Saul, he's doing his thing. Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place, and he came down to visit the believers in the town of Luda. And we'll dig into this in just a second. So once again, meanwhile. 11, verse 19. Meanwhile. The believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. So Saul's doing his thing. Peter's doing his thing. The Jews who got persecuted and left are doing their thing. Things are happening in conjunction at the same time, and we're getting a picture of it. Peter didn't know what Saul was doing. Saul didn't know what Peter was doing. Peter probably didn't know what these Jewish believers were doing, because things are going on and God's in control of all of it. And see, you and I live our lives in isolation and we live, you know, well, I got my problems, you got your problems and I'm thinking about my day and you're thinking about your day and I really don't care what's happening in your day unless your day affects my day. And yet God's at work in ways that we can't see. Skip to chapter 12, about that time Same basic wording, same basic phrase. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church, and he had the apostle James killed with a sword. So you got Saul, you got Peter, you got the Jews, now you got Herod, he's doing his thing. All of this stuff seems to be happening in isolation, but it's all under the sovereign control and will of God. And I want us to look at life that way. I want us to learn to look at life that way. That, you know, if you walk out of this building this morning, you get into your car and it won't start because you left the lights on or whatever, or you got a flat. Here's what you'll do. You'll get angry. You'll get frustrated. You'll think, why me? Why did this happen? I don't need this right now. I never should have gone to Bible study. I didn't want to get up this morning. I can't believe this happened. And you're going to need to stop and go. But meanwhile, God's doing something. I just don't know what it is yet. There's a purpose behind this. There's a reason behind this. God may be teaching you patience, which every guy in this room could use more of. It's that thing you're never supposed to pray for, but you don't need to. Because he's going to bring it anyway. Patience is something we all need. So, this idea of meanwhile, about that time, God's at work, God's doing things. Chapter 12, verse 24. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread in spite of persecution, in spite of Herod, in spite of the death of James. Guess what? God's still doing his thing. And there were many new believers. Meanwhile, meanwhile, meanwhile. Over and over again, we see it. So Paul's busy persecuting. Actually, he's Saul at this point. He's busy persecuting, but guess what? God's redeeming. You know, if we could, we could go look at chapter uh, eight and nine, and look at what he's doing to persecute and get focused on that and go, gosh, I can't believe that. But Luke wants us to stop and go, but meanwhile, as bad as that looks, meanwhile, guess what? God's at work. People are coming to faith. You got Peter traveling, and we're gonna see that Peter is traveling, but Peter seems to be focused on one particular area, Judea. And yet God is directing his steps. Whether he knows it or not, I think we see in Peter, even though he's he's beginning to understand that God wants him to go beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, he's still got this Jewish focus. And yet God is directing his steps and putting him in touch with people he doesn't really understand yet. You see the scattered believers are witnessing to Jews, but God is bringing Gentiles to faith. See, I, I, I can think I'm doing God's will when really I'm kind of skirting God's will, but I'm not going to prevent God's will. I'm not going to hurt God's will because God's will is God's will. God's ways are his ways. You see Herod imprisoning Peter, but God is going to set Peter free. We're not going to look at that story this morning. You can go read about it, but Herod throws him in jail and yet God lets him out. See, meanwhile, God's always working and always the church is growing. That's the theme of the whole book. Starts in that upper room and then it spreads all throughout the world of that day. So, let me back up here. The church had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. So the church is growing, right? They're scattered. They've moved into Samaria. We've seen Peter go into Samaria. It became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Then it says, once again, meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place and he came to this place called Luda, we just looked at this, and he meets a man named Aeneas. Now Aeneas is a guy who has a problem. He's bedridden, he's lame. And he's going to have this encounter with Peter. So once again, Peter is moving out We're told that he's traveling, he's going places, and he goes to places in Judea. Remember, what did Jesus say? Start in Jerusalem, go to Judea, into Samaria to the ends of the earth. And Peter's kind of doing it. He finally got out of Jerusalem. He's looked into Samaria. He saw people come to faith. He laid hands on people. They got the Holy Spirit. And now he's in Luda, which is in Judea. And whether he realizes it or not, and this is kind of interesting to me, is that I think he's got a Jewish focus. I think he's still thinking, I'm going to concentrate on Jews because I am one. And yet he goes to these towns where they're probably 50-50 Jew-Gentile. And so even though he and the other Jewish believers are kind of focusing on Jews, God is bringing Gentiles to hear them. Because what does God want? Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles. That's his will, that's his way, and he's making it happen. So he runs into this guy named Aeneas. We don't know a whole lot about Aeneas other than the fact that he's probably a Hellenistic Jew and he's been bedridden for eight years. Now, there's been days in my life where that sounds attractive, you know, to just stay in bed for eight years. Um, I don't think it's as good as it sounds. This guy had never been able to get out of bed because he was lame. We don't, we don't know why, we don't know what happened. But we do know that God sovereignly brings these two men together. And it tells us, Peter said to him, "Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat. Now, um, Jonathan talked about this three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago, and brought up the idea that has anybody in this room ever done something like this? You ever seen somebody who's crippled or somebody who can't walk or somebody who's blind and walk out and go, get your sight back. Come on, let's go. Get out of that wheelchair. Come on. This is pretty incredible stuff. This is faith in action. He's just speaking to this guy and he says, Get up. Jesus Christ heals you. And what happens? He was healed instantly. And the whole population of Lud and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around and they turned to the Lord. What's the purpose in the healing? Was it so Aeneas could walk? No, that's secondary. His healing was in order to attract attention to the gospel and to validate the one speaking the gospel to show that this man really was from God. Peter was speaking on behalf of God. It's the same thing with the miracles that Jesus did. Jesus didn't heal everybody, did he? Jesus didn't feed everybody. Jesus didn't fix everybody's problem, but every time he did those things, it was to draw attention to the power that he had and that it came from God and that he was the Messiah. Same thing true here. You see Peter, you see Um, Stephen was able to do the same things. You're going to see that last week, Philip did the same things over and over again. Paul's going to do the same things. And people came to faith. That's the point. But see, guys, I think God still wants to do amazing things in our context. God still wants to save people. God still wants to heal people. God still wants to do miracles so that he can draw attention to Himself, his power, and what he's doing. So he heals Aeneas. And then it moves directly into another interesting story Tabitha. Tabitha. What happens? Well, she's this believing Jew. She's a disciple. So you got Aeneas, who's probably Greek. You've got Tabitha, Tabitha, who's probably a Jew. And interesting how Peter's probably going out thinking about Jews. He gets to heal a Gentile. Now he's going to get to do something incredible for this Jewish woman. And she's got two names. Tabitha is her Hebrew name. Dorcas is her Greek name. If I'm her, I go by Tabitha. You know, how in the world did I get this Dorcas name? But Tabitha is a wonderful woman. She's well-respected. She's well-loved because she feeds people. She makes clothes for widows. She's loved by the community. And the inference is that she's loved by all the community, Greek, Gentile, Jew, Yahweh worshiper, non-Yahweh worshiper, because she's a loving person. But the problem is she's dead. And Peter shows up. And Peter goes into the room where they're mourning, and he has everybody leave, verse 40. He kneels and he prays. He turns to the body and he says, get up. Now, I read that differently than I did probably 15 years ago before I became a pastor because I've done a lot of funerals since I've become a pastor. And not one time in any funeral I've ever done have I ever had the remotest inkling to look at the casket and go, I wonder, hmm, what if I I said get up, would they? I've never felt that. I've never felt moved to do that. I've never felt encouraged to do that. I've never felt any desire to do that because... I know what would happen. Nothing. And everybody would look at me as if I was absolutely stark raving man. Now let's stop for a second. I want to pray for Dale. Father, I pray for Dale. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what uh, the issue is. We know he has health issues and problems and you have been good to him. And Father, we're sitting here talking about miracles and we're praying for one right now. We pray, Father, that you would heal him of whatever's going on. And, Father, if, if, if our faith is too small, which I guarantee it is, your power is great. And I pray that you would comfort him. I pray you'd be with the medics who are taking care of him. I pray for the doctors who are going to minister to him and the nurses. We pray for his healing and his complete restoration. And that he will be back in this room next Thursday. So, Father... Thank you for your power. Thank you for the realization that even today we can pray for miracles and you are still a miracle-working God, a healing God. So we pray for Dale. We place him in your hands and we ask that you would do a miracle. I pray this in Christ's name. So Tabitha, he tells her to get up. and And this is so funny. He just says, Luke can be the master of understatement. She opened her eyes, she sees Peter, and she sat up. Man, I'd written, written eight paragraphs on this with adjectives and all kinds of things. And he just says, she sat up. He gives her his hand, helped her up. He calls in all the widows and all the believers and he presents them to her. Once dead, now alive. And what's the end result? Verse 42, news spread throughout the whole town. Many believed in the Lord. And Peter stays there a long time. Why? Because there was so much opportunity to share the gospel. See, all of these miracles, which we can get so hung up on and get so fixated on, were all intended to do one thing. Lead people to Christ. See, God wants to do that in my life and in your life. And God wants us to have stories of his intervention in our life and how he's doing things in our life. And we should be, of all people, the ones who are able to say, this was going on, but meanwhile, God was doing this we need to learn to look back in retrospect and see the hand of God all throughout our lives and be able to tell that story to people who don't know him. And we need to be able to praise God when things in our lives happen and we're able to say that was God because people are coming to faith. Many believed in the Lord. And then he gives this other little statement that's just kind of an aside. It's the way Luke works. And he says, Peter, after all this, stays with a guy named Simon. Oh, and he was a tanner of hides." Now you and I read that as 21st century Western Americans and we go, all right, good, good deal. What does that got to do with me? Well, here's the deal. It's a really important thing because Luke is setting up what's about to come. And he's showing us that here's Peter, he's a Jew. He's just ministered to a Gentile, Aeneas, and then he's ministered to a dead woman, Tabitha, raised her back to life. And he's staying in Luda, and he ends up staying in a tanner's house. This guy named Simon. See, this is a picture of Simon, I mean Peter, making a concession that's pretty important because he's a Jew, this guy's a tanner, and tanners were considered what? Unclean. Why? Because they touched dead animal carcasses. And according to Mosaic law, they would be considered ceremonially unclean until they were purified. Well, if you're a tanner and every day that's your job, it's really hard to stay ceremonially unclean or clean because you're always getting dirty again. And so for him to stay in this guy's house was a major concession. But what Peter doesn't realize is that it's going to get even more intense for him. I think he probably got some pushback from other Jews you're going to stay in a tanner's house? What is wrong with you? And this issue of uncleanliness comes up. Luke is trying to get us to understand that there's a shift going on, not just in the story, not just in the chronicle, but in the workings of God. God's getting ready to do something new. And chapter 10, we've looked at it before is another conjunction. Now this one, we haven't really seen, and it's a little bit different. But it's God setting up a new way of doing things. And it's going to rub Peter the wrong way. It's going to rub the Jews the wrong way. The believing Jews the wrong way. Everybody's going to get upset with this because God's doing things ways, in ways that they don't really understand or even like. So chapter 10, verse 1. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius. Hey, wait a minute, Ken. You said there was a conjunction here. You said there was a transition. I don't see it. Now your translation may show it better. If you go to the original language in the Greek, you're gonna see, and the Net Bible translates it well, now there was a man. Now is a conjunction, it's a transition. It's in the original language. The NLT just left it out. But it's important for us to understand that there's something yet going on. God is doing something. Now there was a man. What kind of man? A Roman army officer a man named Cornelius, captain of the Italian regiment. And it tells us that he was a devout, God-fearing man, which means he was a Yahweh worshiper. He had an affinity for the God of the Jews. He loved the people of the Jews. And it tells us that he gave generously to the poor. He prayed regularly to God, Yahweh. We don't know if he was a proselyte. We don't know if he'd been converted to Judaism. We just know that he loved the God of the Jews. And here's this guy named Cornelius, just out of the blue. Now there was a man. And then he's gonna have this dream, a vision. Where'd that vision come from? Bad tacos? No, God. God gives this man a dream. God gives this man a vision. He's gonna be very specific. You need to send someone to go get Peter. And here's where he is. And here's his address. Go get the guy. And he's gonna send three men to go get him. And we're gonna skip forward to verse nine. The next day... As the three men, the Cornelius' messengers, are headed to get Peter. Peter goes up on the roof to pray. It's about noon. He's hungry. Bad combination. If you're ever hungry and you begin to pray, what are you going to think about? Food. And we see it here. He has a dream about food. Now, where'd the dream come from? God but he dreams about something really, really interesting because God gives him this vision. He falls into a trance, the sky opens, and he sees this large sheet being let down from the four corners. Now, what's important for you to understand is where does this sheet come from? Heaven. Now, he's in a trance. He sees a sheet. It's coming down from heaven. And what's it full of? All sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then he hears a voice. He's already seen what's in the sheet. And the voice says, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. Now, once again, we read that and go, sounds like a smorgasbord, sounds pretty good. It's like lubies. pick which one you want, have a feast, come on, it's gonna be great. But what's the problem? Everything in that sheet, the text tells us, is unclean. He's a Jew. Sheet came from heaven. Who lives in heaven? God. God sends down a sheet full of unclean animals, and he goes, eat them. Kill them and eat them. So killing them, you're going to get unclean. Eating them, you're going to get unclean. You're going to be defiled, impure. What are you doing? God, what's up with you? And I love Peter because he's always really blunt. He says, no, Lord, I, I can't. I've never eaten anything like that. I'm a law keeper, I'm a a good Jew, I can't do this. You've told us not to. I've never eaten anything like this. And it's so typical of Peter. God says something, no, I don't wanna do that. It goes against what I believe. And then God speaks to him, and really I think it's probably Jesus speaking to him. And he says what? Don't call something unclean if God has made it clean. That's an incredible statement for a Jew to hear from God, from the lips of Jesus. Don't call something unclean if God has made it clean. And this this little statement here is huge because it's in the past tense. It's already been done. God has made it clean. And the the word is kalorizo, and it means I've already purified it. I've already deemed it no longer wicked, but pure. So get over it. You don't like it? I don't really care. I'm not asking for your opinion. Now, is he talking about animals? Is he talking about birds and reptiles? Not really. He's talking about something that Peter doesn't quite get yet. And Peter's going to get it really clearly in just a minute when there's a knock at his door. And if you you have to understand this, you have to think, what did Jesus get confronted with by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes? Well, every time he met with lost people, unsaved people, they got angry. Matthew 9. Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Matthew is a tax collector. He's hated by the Jews. He's considered impure. He invites other tax collectors and disreputable sinners Not an interesting statement. Guess what? That's you. That's me. We would have been in this context. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Ew, what's wrong with you? How about in Luke 15? Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. What was Jesus doing? He was rocking their religious world. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I'm going to come to the sick. I'm here to heal the sick, not those who think they're well, but they're really not. See, Jesus did it. Now Peter's going to get a chance to do it. And I love this. Peter's very perplexed. He's like, what? You want me to eat what? You want me to kill what? You want me to violate the law that you gave us? This is not your way. Oh yeah, it is. Don't call unclean what I've just called clean. Don't go against what I'm telling you to do because things are going to be different from this point forward. Verse 19 says, he puzzled over the vision. Again, understatement. He's rocked, he's struggling, he's wrestling with this. He doesn't get what God's doing. And you have to go back and get into his Jewish mindset and just how repulsive this was because here's what's blowing through his mind, animals. The animals in that sheet, I don't know how many there were, I don't know what breeds there were, but they were all unclean. And Leviticus tells us, God said, you may not, however, eat the following animals. And then he gives us this lengthy list and we're not gonna read it, but they were in that sheet. How about reptiles? 11.10, you must never eat animals from the sea or from rivers that do not have both fins and scales. They are detestable to you. Yeah, they still are to Peter. Kill and eat. Have you lost your proverbial mind, God? Have you forgot what you told us? No. How about birds? These are the birds that are detestable to you. You must never eat them. The griffin vulture, the bearded vulture, the black vulture. And he starts listing these birds, most of whom I've never heard of, and most of which don't even sound appetizing. But he says, eat them. And and Peter says, I can't. I don't don't get what you're doing. This This is obscene to me. It's repulsive to me. I don't want to do this. And he says no to God. But see, God's preparing him for something incredible that's about to happen. And he's got to get all of these guys, Peter and John and all the apostles, and he's got to get them on board that this is my will for you. It's different than what you think. But he says, no, Lord. And he was always saying no to the Lord. If you know anything about Peter's life prior to Christ's death, he was always arguing with God. And here's just an example. Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be tried. I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to be crucified. And what did he say? Heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. And what did Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. You don't don't want my will. You want Satan's will. See, God's doing things in a different way. And he's trying to get these men to understand that it's going to be a new day, a new way. It's my way, not your way. So Peter goes, the men come, they knock on the door, he goes with them. He shows up at Cornelius' house in Caesarea, and he, he tells them, You know, it's against our Jewish laws for a, a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or even associate with you. What a way to greet these people. You know, I shouldn't even be here because you're Gentiles and I'm a Jew. And he says, But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean, so I came without objection. You liar. Yes, you did it was all objectionable to you, but you knew it was God, so you went. But something incredible happens in this story. He gets it that God, it wasn't about animals in a sheet, it was about unbelieving Gentiles who God wants to redeem, who God considers worthy of his gospel, worthy of his grace. So Peter tells him all about the Lord, And as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. Now, if you go back and you think about the chart I gave you last week that showed you the different occasions of how the Holy Spirit came, this is yet another occasion where it's different. It's another way of how the Holy Spirit came because in this case, they believed and the Holy Spirit came as soon as they believed no laying on of hands, and then they got water baptism. That's why I claim that the book of Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive, because it's different almost every time how it happens. But the whole point is that something new is happening. These people, Gentiles, Romans for the most part, get the Holy Spirit, they get salvation, they speak in tongues just like they did in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, and these Jewish believers who came with Peter are like, This is weird. I can't believe this. And Peter goes, well, they got the spirit, they spoke in tongues, they got exactly what we got. So anybody having a problem with them getting baptized? Guess not. And they did. They were baptized in the name of Jesus. So once again, God is doing incredible things. And what's interesting is as soon as we see this, we go to chapter 11 and news reaches the apostles and the other believers in Judea, they find out and." Something's gonna happen. The Jewish believers criticized him. See, once again, God's doing a great thing, God's doing a new thing, and what happens? These Jewish believers, believers in Jesus Christ, have a problem with it. Why? Because they were Gentiles. And they say, you entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them. What is wrong with you? And so he's gotta explain to them all that happened, the dream, the sheet, the animals, the uncleanliness, and how God is new, doing new things. And yet he gets pushback. He gets criticism. See, God's ways are not always going to be understood or appreciated by people who even love God. See, things are going to happen in your life, and, and they're not always going to agree with you. Even your own family members are not going to agree with what God is doing, or they're going to interpret it differently. And they may even criticize you on decisions. I know there are guys who have... Every year when we go to Brazil and we ask you guys to sign up and go with us to make disciples, there are guys who say, man, I want to go, but my family doesn't want me to go. Don't listen to your family. Listen to God. Listen to what God's telling you to do. Even your loved ones will sometimes disagree with God because they don't yet get what God's doing. And that's exactly what we see happening here. Sometimes God's children are his worst critics. And sometimes it's you. That can't be of God. There's an interesting story as we move later on into the life of Paul. Paul is going to be told by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And he's told you're gonna suffer there. And his friends, his well-meaning Christian friends, get a vision from the Holy Spirit that says Paul's going to Jerusalem, he's gonna suffer. And they immediately go to Paul and say, don't go. But the text never says that the Holy Spirit told them to do that. The Holy Spirit never told them, oh yeah, and convinced them not to do it. Agabus, the prophet, shows up and he says, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound and you're going to suffer. Don't go. The Holy Spirit never told them to say that. And Peter reacts, or Paul reacts and says, even if I have to die, I'm going because I've been commanded to go. See, even your well-meaning friends will give you well-meaning, loving advice that is unbiblical and unspiritual because they don't get what God's doing. That's why it's important for us to listen to him because if you fail to recognize God's will, it will always result in ill will. And sometimes we see things happening in somebody else's life and we go, I don't think that's a good idea. Well, you better be real careful that your little premonition is coming from the word of God and not from your, just your mind because God works in ways we don't understand 11, 19. meanwhile, the believers who'd been scattered, they're going to Phoenicia, to Cyprus, to Antioch. They're going to all these places. They're preaching the word of God, but only to Jews. But yet believers are coming to faith. What's God doing? God's doing his will. God's doing his will his way. And the power of the Lord was with them. And large numbers of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. So God is doing great things. I, I want us to learn to understand that God is always working. God is always doing things that we can't see. I I want you to walk, if you walk out with nothing else this morning, I want these two words to stick in your brain. Meanwhile, God. Whatever happens to you today, meanwhile, God. I don't like this, meanwhile, God. God's doing something, God's at work. God's doing something you don't understand, you don't like, you don't believe, but God's at work. So as I look at these chapters, here's what jumps out at me. Peter could easily say, I never dreamed it would have happened this way. I never dreamed he was gonna take it to the Gentiles. I never dreamed he was gonna include them in this thing. Saul could have said, I never saw this coming. I never dreamed I would have meet the risen Lord on the road to Damascus. I never dreamed I would go from being a persecutor to a proclaimer of the gospel. Never saw it. Cornelius, who would have thought that me, a Roman officer, would become a believer in Jesus Christ. Never saw it coming. Aeneas. never in my wildest dreams did I think I could walk again, but here I am. Tabitha's friends, she was dead. We were gonna see her buried. She was gone, but see, God was at work. So here's your questions. Go back and look at Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 43. What did Peter learn from his dream of the sheet of, full of unclean animals in his encounter, with, his encounter with Cornelius? How does that apply to us? So you got to get past what was in the sheet. You're not a Jew. You don't have a restriction on what you can eat. Most of us should have restrictions on what we eat. But you don't. So what's the point? God's doing something new. See, I think in your life, there's going to be some things that God's telling you to do that you're going to go, ugh, that's repulsive. Get over it. Move beyond it. What, what could it be in your life? Why is it so hard for us to accept and submit to circumstances that seem to contradict our preconceived idea of how things should be? Why do we get so uncomfortable when God acts outside our comfort zone? Don't you hate that? God, I don't like that. Don't put me in those positions. Too bad. I'm God, you're not. It's my way, not your way. My will, not your will. But why do we react to those things? And finally, Peter simply did the will of God but met with resistance from the people of God. Have you ever had that happen in your life? What was that like? To feel God calling you to do something and have somebody say, have you lost your mind? Why in the world would you do that? I had Christian friends when I, when I made the decision to go into ministry who told me, you're nuts. Why would you do that? You got a good thing. You got a good job. You make good money. Why would you ever do that? So you got to listen to God. Meanwhile, God, Father, I pray for these guys this morning, and I pray that you would guide their conversation. I pray that they would listen to the Holy Spirit, that they would listen to one another, and then more than anything else, Father, that they would embrace the idea that meanwhile, you are always at work doing things we can't see in ways we may not like, but to accomplish your will And we should be on board with that. So, Father, thank you for this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.